0: I love the idea of cueing yourself, right? Like Mm. before we even get in the room, what are the cues you're sending to yourself? And I not only self-talk. So of course, one of the things I learned on this journey was I had a really, really hard, mean, negative self-talk to myself, right? It was always, what's wrong with you? What did you miss? You're such a loser. You know, I was so hard on myself, which we create this horrible spiral because I'm in an interaction with someone important. I'm like, oh, you sound like such a loser. What is my brain here? loser yeah. what does it make me feel less motivated what does it make me feel more defeat that makes me feel even more like a loser so i was creating these loops for myself so the first thing is how do you talk to yourself before the moment in the moment after the moment and then second what are the cues the verbal cues in your life that are cueing you all the time oh. Come from a different cloth, y'all will get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to the Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's
1: bring Matt Welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen. This is your host Matt Labrie and you're rocking with us here on The Decoding Success Podcast. I got to give you fair warning. What you're about to dive into is a conversation like no other. And what do I mean by that? We have yet to this date ever had a conversation like this on the show. Seriously, I genuinely mean that. If this is your first time tuning into this platform, as well, I want to welcome you into our incredible community of high-performing individuals. And if you've been rocking with us for episodes for months, for weeks, for years even. Welcome back to the show. As mentioned, and you just heard a quick little snippet of what we're diving into today. There has never been a conversation like this to date. I hope that excites you. I hope that entices you. If you have the ability to take notes, you're going to want to do so. This conversation gets deep and you're going to see how this conversation and the content within plays into your everyday life. Seriously, every waking moment. Today, we're joined. Vanessa Van Edwards, the lead investigator at Science of People. She's the best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. And also, I'm just going to throw this in there. I'm going to edit her bio for her. Her new book, Cues, which we're discussing here today, is also a bestseller. Now, she has more than 50 million people. Watch her engaging YouTube tutorials and her TED Talk. She shares tangible skills to improve interpersonal communication and leadership. Including her insights on how people work. She's developed a science based framework for understanding different personalities to improve our EQ and help us communicate with colleagues, clients, customers, personal relationships, friends, family, all of that good stuff. Vanessa works with entrepreneurs, growing businesses, and trillion dollar companies and has been featured on CNN, BBC, CBS Mornings, Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Mag. USA Today, The Today Show, and right here today on Decoding Success. You are in for a great episode. I'm really excited to amplify this to each and every one of you. Before diving into the content, I'm going to urge you to share this episode. It is totally free to dive into this, but when this starts to resonate and when you see how powerful these cues are, this is a cue for you right now. This is a cue for you to share this episode. Once you see how powerful it is, it clicks, it snaps in your head, the light bulb goes off. I want you to share this with at least three people today to make sure you are impacting them. And now without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa, I should wave. This is something I'm learning from you. We should wave. Welcome to Decoding Success. Super excited to have you. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. I loved your wave. I loved it. <laughs> thought it was great looking. I love a good palm. Just love well, it. I- I need to ask this. What brings
1: you, and just for everyone that's listening to this and watching on YouTube, what brings you down the path of the science of people and learning about cues and all of this? Like, What was it for you that put you down this path?
0: Well, this is a personal itch that I've been scratching. I'm a recovering awkward person. So I have this, I've always had, I know it's like, by the way, if anyone has ever felt awkward ever, I'm so with you. I have this very odd problem and I didn't realize... For many years, the cause of my awkwardness was a very specific problem, which was I misinterpret cues. Specifically, I tend to think that neutral cues are negative. So it was happening to me. And I, I did not realize it until far too many years later was that I was spotting cues that I thought, oh, she doesn't like me. He's mad at me. Everyone hates me. And so I would leave every interaction and I'd replay everything in my head and think, well, I made the worst impression. Everyone's mad at me. No one likes me. And I would sit with my husband and say, are they all angry? And you go, What? What do you? And I said, Did you see the way that they looked? So I realized that maybe there was this hidden language that was being spoken where people were reading each other's cues. I just didn't know how to read it. So I thought, okay, what if I studied? cues. Like I study for a foreign language. So I, at the time I was taking Spanish. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to study for cues, just like I study for my Spanish exams. I'm going to learn the vocab. I'm going to learn how to use them together in a sentence or how to use them together in a cluster. I'm going to make flashcards. I literally had flashcards of different cues. And slowly I realized the more I could learn these cues, the less I was misinterpreting and the more confident I felt. So it all started from just my own personal itch.
1: Now, was someone telling you you were awkward or was it you just thinking you were awkward?
0: Mostly it was bad outcomes. So people weren't telling me I was awkward except for comments like, and someone literally said this to me, oh, you're so much nicer than you look. Wow! I was like, oh, thank you. So like comments like that, or someone would say after many, many weeks of working with me, they'd be like, oh, you know what? I didn't feel like we connected at first, but now we're like best friends. And it was comments like that, many, many comments like that, where I thought I'm doing something wrong. There's something that I'm doing in my profile pictures in the first few minutes of interaction, the first impression, I am sending off the wrong cues. I also was constantly surprised by things. So I would go into a a meeting or a pitch thinking it went great and it would go horribly. Or I would go into a meeting thinking that went horribly and they would call me back. And there was like, in my mind at the time, no rhyme or reason. I could not figure out what were the patterns. And so I think a lot of folks who might be in like a rut or burnout or a plateau, if you feel like things just aren't clicking for you, it could be that there's this piece that we just don't know how to read.
1: Absolutely. Now I'm curious, what were some of those neutral cues that you were misinterpreting for negative?
0: Okay, so I'll give you a really specific one. And this was a, this is a huge aha moment for me. Like I remember the moment that I looked this cue up in the academic research and I was like, oh, what? Okay, so this is called a lower lid flex. It's one of my favorite cues now. So a lower lid flex is when we harden our lower lid. So if you just harden your lower lid at me, kind of like you're starting to see me better. Like if you're- trying Yeah, to focus. Me, that lower lid flex is an interesting cue because it's not positive or negative, but it's definitely not neutral. I was like, oh, this is neutral or negative. But actually what it is, is when we lower lid flex, this is across humans, we are trying to limit the amount of light that's coming into our eyes. And when we do that, we can see details. We can see precision when we're afraid, or we're trying to take in a lot, we widen our eyes. So we open up our eyelids as much as possible and see, we get linen as much light as possible. We're trying to see a lot, but we're trying to discern, think critically, really evaluate we harden our lower lids. So it's actually a sign of intensity or engagement. It can lead to scrutiny. So I would see that, you know, on a date or in a meeting and be like, oh, they're angry at me. I thought that was a sign of anger, but actually it's not at all a sign of anger. It's a sign of intensity. So that was one specific cue that once I unlocked that, I could say, oh, now if I'm in a presentation or a pitch and I see someone across the room, do that lower lid flex, you can actually see it from quite far away. I will stop my presentation and say, any questions? Does this make sense? Anything I can address for you, sir? I will literally stop right then and there, if I can address it. And my pitch is it's changed the nature of my pitch. Right. I'm
1: curious to learn how someone, and I'm, I'm thinking here how to frame this. How do you analyze or bring like a hyper-awareness to someone's cues while staying in the present moment?
0: Is that like a muscle that you have to build up to? It's actually, it's a good question. So I think, and this is how I, how I internalize cues, see if this resonates with you. I don't think that focusing on other people's cues gets you out of the present moment. In fact, for me, it was the opposite. When I wasn't reading people's cues, I would get very in my head. I would become a social overthinker. So what would happen was I would either spot a cue or miss a cue. And then I'd be like, what should I say next? What should I say next? Are they angry at me? Was that bad? Was that dumb? Oh my God, I sound so dumb. Why did I just say that? I would have this horrible, I mean, horrible internal self-talk. And that brought me out of the present moment. That made me super hypercritical and also quite selfish, right? Like it made me turn inside. Focusing on cues makes me hyper present to how is this other person doing? How are they feeling? How are they thinking? How can I respond? I feel like it's made me more present because I am literally listening with my entire body. I already know what cues I have to send, right? So and that's the other part of this question, which maybe we could talk about next is, I know what cues I want to send to them and that's muscle memory. I don't even think about them anymore, but for them, I'm so focused on them that I don't have to be so selfishly in my mind. I'm like, it's all about you. How can I make it great about you? So mine was sort of backwards the other way. No, I
1: get that. And now I guess it just brings me to the question of how do you adapt your game plan to this, right? So if you go into a meeting, a pitch, a date, wherever, however... And you're reading someone's cues, but you went in there with a game plan. It seems like, I mean, you kind of have to have some sort of practice, right?
0: Yes, you're right. So let's take a a broader step back to answer that. It's a very good question, which is, I want everyone to have a game plan. So I do think that purpose breeds success, right? Like we're on this show, we're talking about decoding success. I think the more purposeful you are with social goals, and I literally do believe that. I think that for every interaction, you should have an ideal social outcome a game plan of goals. So let's say, and this is the backup, whenever we're interacting with a person, we're answering two basic questions about them. Can I trust you? And can I rely on you? Those are the two most important questions to connect with someone. It's warmth and competence. So if we go into interaction, we think, all right, this is a presentation. And I've noticed they don't take me as seriously in the past. I feel like they don't really really respect this idea. I'm going to blow them away with competence. I'm going to make sure, yeah, they can trust me. They already trust me. I want to make sure they can rely on me. I'm going to show competence cues, my body. I'm going to show competence cues, my voice. I'm going to use competent verbal. I'm going to dial up competence. That's a game plan, right? But let's say you get in the room and this happens all the time. And You find that everyone's having funny chit chat. We're all camaraderie. There's a lot of collaboration. Wow. You're not even presenting at the front of the room. You're sitting around an intimate living room setting. It's way more intimate than you thought. They say, you know, don't walk me through your deck. Just tell us about your idea. Okay. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is much more warmth, much more about trust than I thought. If you know the cues, there's only 96 of them. Right, there's really nice. Things. Even if you know five warmth cues, you can go ah, okay, we're in warmth, and you can immediately be like, just like vocab words, like just like those vocab words for Spanish. You're like, great, fish in my purse, get my warmth card, get on warmth cue, use my warmth. So I, I, almost think it's like a foreign language. Like you can go into a presentation with all your Spanish vocabulary prepared for a business pitch, but if they started off with some some rapport building, well, thank goodness you also know the other vocab words and you're able to to pull those out mm, too. Yeah. I hope that metaphor sort of sticks with that. No, it does. It does. I'm just
1: curious to learn if someone can fake cues the way you can kind of like fake an energy, right? Like you could walk in the room and be this bravado, confident, macho type of person. And then, you know, you get pushed over and you just crumble, right? You could fake energy. Can you fake cues?
0: This was my biggest concern with writing this book. I'm not joking. This kept me up at night. So as I started writing the book, I was like, oh man, like, am I going to teach people how to be manipulative? Like, am I just gonna teach people to like walk in and fake competence and fake warmth? And it was like a it was like a problem. Like I emailed my editor. I was like, I don't want to put a book out there that people are gonna use to like work people or manipulate people. And she brought out something very important, which is my own science. This is why I have an amazing editor at Portfolio, Nikki Papadopoulos. She's like, you yourself teach that cues are a cycle. So not only can an emotion cause a cue. So I feel competent, I show competence. I feel warm. I show warmth. But also if you do a competence cue that can trigger your own competence. So she said, sometimes, you know, we can also work backwards, but maybe there's a little bit of faking it because it's a hope. It's a goal. It's a wish. And so I would say, yes, I think that we can fake it a little bit in the sense of, okay, maybe like we're nervous. Maybe we have awkwardness. maybe We have some imposter syndrome, but we know we have a good idea. Like we know that we're worth it. We know that we have value. And so you're like, all right, even though I'm a little bit nervous, I'm going to bring out the competence cues. So in that way, it can turn it on. However, I do think that that only lasts for so long. So you could only fake warmth and fake competence for so long. If it doesn't naturally kick in, if you don't really know what you're talking about, or you don't really like someone. I do think that will come out. And I know this because there are some cues we cannot fake. Right. Blink rate is one of them. So blink rate is something that I touched on very briefly in the book because I, I knew that people couldn't control it, which is research has shown that when we are very anxious, very nervous, sometimes guilty or ashamed, our blink rate increases. And Mine's that's increasing now just because you're saying that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the moment I say lower your blink rate, you blink more. Mm. So if blink rate is a sign of nervousness and we do recognize it as a sign of nervousness, like if someone is all of a sudden in a room and they're in an interview and they get to a question and they're just, yeah, I had a great last boss, you know, I, uh, he was great. And they're just like like blinking about, you know, something's not right. So yeah, you could try to fake some competence there. You could try to fake some competence cues, but that blink rate is going to give you away. So you, there has to be some kernel of truth in there. And that's what got me through writing the book from an ethical perspective is fake cues will be found out eventually. Right. If you have to fake a cue and it triggers or ignites a little spark, yay. Like that's, that's the good stuff.
1: So can cues be contagious? Because once you mention, like a yawn, right? Can they be contagious in the sense where you just mentioned blink rate? I saw you start blinking faster. And then I'm like, holy shit, am I blinking faster too? <laughs>
0: yeah. They are so contagious. So this is the most exciting part of the book for me is, so I'll tell you a famous story. Can I tell you a famous story? Please. Okay, I love a story. So this is a story about William Gladstone and Benjamin Disraeli. We're gonna go back to the 1800s and these men were running for prime minister of the UK and the race was neck and neck. So the the race was super contentious. Both men were seen as favorable. No one knew who was going to win. So a savvy journalist decided she was going to take both men out to lunch. She took both men out to lunch. She interviewed them. She talked to them. She wrote in her interview who she thought was going to win. And here's what she said. William Gladstone. Wow. I thought he was the cleverest person in England, but Benjamin Disraeli, he made me feel like I was the cleverest person in England. And the person who ends up winning the race was Benjamin Disraeli. And I share this story because I think, yes, I want you with your cues to show up as your, oh, I keep pointing the book. I don't know why I keep pointing out off camera. But yes. Your cues can make you show up as your most charismatic self. So you can be warm and competent and confident and impressive and memorable, but that's only step one. Step two is actually your charisma is contagious. So if you show up as your warmest, most charismatic, most competent self, you are actually infecting people for them to feel like they are their most charismatic self. So the more cues that you use of the 96, about 80 of them are positive, 80 of them are at least purposeful. If you're showing up using those 80 purposeful, positive cues, you're like gifting them to people. Right? You're saying, I'm going to show up as warm. I want to inspire your warmth. I want to trigger your competence. And so, in that way, yes, they are so positively contagious. And the research is quite clear on this. Our bodies and our face, even our voice, mirrors and matches the people we're with, specifically the more charismatic people we're with. One study even found that our voices will match in vocal hurts the vocal power of the most powerful person in the room. So, even wow. our voice will align. As a way to say, I want to catch that person's competence. Like he or she is the most powerful in the room. I want to sound like them. And so even our voice not realizing it will match where their vocal hurts are. Like what? So it's almost like a lead by example type of thing. Exactly. It's, it's a lead by contagion. I mean, I would even bring it a step farther that you want your team to be more competent, more on it, more productive, more efficient. Don't just tell them to get it done. Show up with competence cues, show up with productivity cues. You want your, your bond, your, your date to open up to you, to be warm and trusting and and tell you some of the things that are really mattering to them okay, show up with warmth cues and infect them with that warmth. Mm. So I guess this leads me to
1: ask you, how do we not get penetrated by those negative cues, right? So like if you're surrounded, you know, there's that saying proximity is power and stuff. If you're around five people that are kind of going through, it might be depressed, like giving you negative cues in that sense. How do we not get penetrated by that?
0: So, this was, there's a crazy, by the way, that is right. So, we are 100% affected by the negative cues that come at us. There was one study, and I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but what they they studied 50,000 working hours across 11 different companies, small, big, medium, across different industries. And they found that when people sit within 25 feet of a low performer, their own performance decreases by 15%. Holy shit. (laughs) I like, what? And it also goes the other way. So sitting in within 25 feet, by the way, we're way closer to 25 feet on video. So on video, it's even closer. Like we're three right. feet away, right? Like we're really close for a high performer. We also catch high performers cues. And so that that's in this way, the ends of the spectrum are the most contagious, right? It's actually the middle that at least contagious. So how do we stop this, right? How do we prevent the negative contagion? So This is the very first thing I talk about in the book, which is the power of labeling. So what, what Matthew Lieberman, Dr. Matthew Lieberman found, he's a researcher at UCLA, is he put people in a brain scanner and he showed them a picture of fear, the fear microexpression. So fear microexpression is, is a, a negative cue because it actually, when we see it, our own amygdala activates. So if he just showed people a fear microexpression, so if I if I look afraid, right, like if I hold this and you're watching my face, my eyelids raise, my mouth pulls back my eyebrows, right? up, my forehead. If you see that you begin your own amygdala begins to feel a little bit afraid, but the moment that Matthew Lieberman had them label in their head, that was fear. Mm-hmm. The amygdala activation disappeared. In other words, the moment we label a negative cue, it stops affecting us. So with the 16 cues that are a little bit negative that are scorn, shame, disgust, anger. The moment we say, oh, that was a contempt smirk. Oh, I saw blocking whoa, I, that was some serious distancing. We can see it, but it does not affect us. We literally disengage this effect in our brain. And that is for a recovering awkward person like me. I like wanted to like cheer. When I read that study, I was like, yes, like there's a way, because what was happening was I was catching everyone's negative cues. Was I was awesome. walking into meetings. I was hopping on video calls and I'd be like, why do I feel so drained? Why do I dread seeing that? friend who was actually a frenemy. Well, it was because I was catching their negative cues and had no idea what was being sent to me, but that contagion was hitting me.
1: Now, does that work if someone is speaking fear, not necessarily with their cues, but verbally?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So hearing words triggers physiological responses. Not every word, of course, but words that carry power. So let's see, which which study was this one? I think this was out of the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Don't quote me on that. But it's uh, uh, one journal looked at the power of words. And they found that when participants, they had participants come in the lab and they had them take like achievement tests, like intelligence tests. One group of participants had a regular set of directions please take the following quiz, take 10 minutes to complete your answers. And we'll give you the correct answer at the end of the quiz. Very simple directions like you normally see. Those are words that mean nothing to us, right? We hear those words all the time. They're basically sterile. So, you know, meeting, do, complete, test, doesn't mean anything to us. Our brain is like totally numb to it. In the second set of directions, they added achievement-oriented words. So achievement-oriented words are words like win, success, right? Success is a great achievement-oriented word master achieve, right? Those are all right. achievement words. One of the reasons why I like, I love the name of your podcast. So when they sprinkle those words in, so please successfully complete the following quiz. If you win the right answer, we will give you a um, achievement award. So same direction, same word count, just, they swapped a couple of the words for achievement oriented words. The participants who saw, just read the achievement oriented words performed better on the tasks Mm. That's crazy. Just saying success can make people be more successful. Second, they had more motivation to work on the quiz. They spent longer trying to solve the right answers. And this also changed the way they felt about the quiz. They actually felt better about doing it. This implies something very powerful, which is that we have sterilized so much of our communication. We hop on a video call and we say, hey, everyone. Today, we're going to go over a couple of company updates, and then we'll review everything together. We'll get started in a few. Hmm. That has no cues at all. And this is a whole, there's a whole science behind our verbal cues. Verbal cues are a very important part of how we feel. That has nothing. You're literally telling the other person, this is going to be the same boring meeting that every other, as every other meeting you've had this week, your brain should just stay asleep. Versus if you were to say, Hey everyone, happy Monday. So great to see all of you. So today we have some big goals. I'm going to talk about three of them during this meeting. And then we're going to review all of our productivity metrics at the end of the call. So be sure to grab your goal sheet and we'll get started in a few. Same basic idea, but totally different verbal cues. You're literally telling the other person's brain, Here's how you can be most successful. I think that's the key here is that very highly charismatic people. When we studied highly charismatic people, they are very aware that their cues are gifts, that it's not just about them being successful. They know that if they use purposeful verbal cues, they are setting up people to be the best version of themselves. They're setting people up to be the most successful. So what I want folks to think about, if you're willing to do this with me, is think about how, what would make someone else most successful? How should they show up to your call or your meeting or your date? Would it make them successful if they were open and collaborative and heartfelt? Great verbally cue with those words, cue with the warm and fuzzies, or would they be more served? Would they be better off? Would they be more successful if they were like competent and powerful and capable and felt like a winner? Great. Cue them with those kinds of words. That's literally helping them be more successful.
1: Now, what's your advice for people that are listening to this in regards to self-talk and making those shifts verbally as you were just you know alluding to?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I I love the idea of cueing yourself, right? Like before we even get in the room, what are the cues you're sending to yourself? And I not only self-talk. So of course, one of the things I learned on this journey was I had a really, really hard, mean, negative self-talk to myself, right? It was always what's wrong with you. What did you miss? You're such a loser. You know, I was so hard on myself, which we create this horrible spiral because I'm in an interaction with someone important. I'm like, oh, you sound like such a loser what is my brain here? Loser. What does it make me feel less motivated? What does it make me feel more defeat? That makes me feel even more like a loser. So I was creating these loops for myself. So the first thing is how do you talk to yourself before the moment in the moment after the moment? And then second, what are the cues, the verbal cues in your life that are cueing you all the time? One of the biggest ones I talk about this in the book is your calendar. Every single time you open your calendar, you are cueing yourself. So if you have a calendar that's full of call, Zoom meetings, one-on-ones, work time, pick up kids, that's all you're going to get. You're going to get cues of autopilot. And that's why one of the many reasons we feel so burnt out. We look at every day and we're like, "Oh my gosh, these meetings are the same," even though they're not. So what if you use your calendar to prime yourself? So instead of, you know, meeting, why not collaborative session? Why not 2022 wins instead of, you know, uh, dinner, why not family catch up dinner or bonding dinner or team dinner, even adding just a couple of those words to your calendar. That means that every time you open your calendar, five to 10 times a day, you are priming yourself to actually be most successful and effective in that meeting. I love this. I actually want
1: to take a step backwards just to get more clear on something that we were talking about. I believe it came up where discussing the cues and like faking it and stuff. I used to work for Damon John and he's notorious for like sitting like this, like the power pose. I saw the book cover, right? And then yes. it brings me to think of being at Unleash the Power of Within with Tony Robbins, where he talks about going into like the Superman pose. Yeah right? How long does it actually take to see that work in a sense? And I guess my second question to that is, let's leave it at the first one. Second one's going to come back to me, but I'm just really curious because it's coming up. I see Damon in the background. And I'm like, I need to ask about that.
0: Yes. So I've had, I've been in a ballroom table with him and he is very calm, like very, he, like very and I, I just try this. So wherever you are right now, if you can, if you're driving, don't do it. But if you can just put your, the tips of your fingers together into a steeple Take a deep breath and roll your shoulders down and just sit like this for just a second, very quickly in the first two or three seconds, you should begin to feel sort of put together, calm, poised, elegant, maybe. Do you feel any difference right now? Just as you do that?
1: I feel more relaxed. Yeah.
0: More relaxed. So it happens immediately immediately the trigger. And the longer you keep it, the more it just keeps building on itself. So it's not even like it's a switch. It's actually like more of a build and that steeple position. So I called up the steeple. I'm doing it on the book cover as well, because I was very nervous in that photo shoot. So the photo shoot for this book, I was nervous. And so I was like, how do I pull it together? How do I pull it together? And I was like, what's my cue? What's my cue? a steeple. So a steeple, if you think about this from like an evolutionary, so a lot of these cues have biological reasons. So there are some cues that are cultural. Absolutely. There are cultural, culturally specific cues. The cues I tried to focus on the book are universal and I make notes for when they're cultural. The ones I like the best, the cues that get me the most excited are the ones that have some sort of biological reason. Okay. So let's look at a, let's look at the steeple steeple, the most defensive and offensive cue that a human can make is a fist right? Okay. Our hands have evolved to make fists because that protects our hand, right? Our knuckles are quite hard. So if we have to punch someone that protects us. So a clenched fist is a protective offensive and defensive gesture. What's the opposite of a fist open and relaxed hands, right? So this is open. It's vulnerable. It shows not concealing anything. Then if we put our hands together in this steeple, we can't do anything right? Our hands can't grab something. We can't reach out and, you know, shake hands or push someone. This is basically saying I'm open. I'm not concealing. I'm not angry. I'm not offensive or defensive and I can't do anything. So I have to be present. So it's like this feedback loop of your body's going, Whoa, my hands are relaxed and put together and here I am just sitting here. I must have to be present. I don't need to be anywhere or do anything. I don't need to protect myself. I don't need to offend someone or defend myself. And so it's that's part of that cue cycle. And so it's immediate. And I think that whether Damon John does the steeple and that helps his calmness or he's calm and that's why he does the steeple. I don't know which it is. It's chicken or egg, but they feed on each other. That's awesome. I'm just thinking
1: about how Something so small like that could, I mean, seriously, just doing that, like I literally felt more relaxed, whether it was the deep breath or the shoulders going down. It's incredible.
0: Yes. And that was a little cluster. So I believe in cues and clusters. So cues by themselves are okay. But if you do one cue by itself, mostly cues go together, right? So I know that people who are truly relaxed, the steeple, they have that pose, they roll their shoulders down. So if I were to do the steeple with my, with my shoulders up towards my ears, I don't look calm. Mm. I look more like I'm hatching an evil plan. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one cluster is shoulders up, steeple drumming fingers. <laughs> I'm planning to take over the world. Right. That is a cluster that is extremely different than shoulders back, deep breath, hands together. Yeah. That cluster is competence and confidence. It's just like foreign language, right? Like words put together make these beautiful sentences. It's the same thing with cues. I love that. Now, if someone picks up
1: this book after listening to this episode, but they could only take away one thing from it, obviously there's a ton of things in this book, but if they could only take away one thing, what would you want it to be?
0: I'll say the thing that was kind of the motivation behind why I wrote it, which is for many years, I tried to learn people's skills. Like I was, I'm an awkward person, right? So I was trying to learn people skills, and everyone who was teaching people skills were, was an extrovert. And so basically, the lesson that I kept getting over and over again for a decade was just be more extroverted, smile more, say yes to everything, just be an extrovert, fake it till you make it. And that was exhausting and draining and felt super inauthentic. And I was like, there has to be a better way. And so I'm not an extrovert, I'm an ambivert. I'm somewhere in between the two. I'm a recovering, awkward person. And so if you are, awkward or introverted or ambiverted, or only sometimes an extrovert or a drained extrovert, there is another way. Like you don't just have to dial up your extroversion to be charismatic. In fact, that's not what the research says at all. The research is quite clear. You do not have to be extroverted to be charismatic. To be charismatic, you have to be your warmest and most competent self. And you have 96 different cues to choose from. And the way that we mix those cues are different flavors. Everyone has their own flavor. The cues that work for you are going to be different from you. And that's good. So the one thing I would say for people to take away is find your unique flavor of charisma. It doesn't have to be extrovert, although it can be that if you pick the cues you like best, that's how you can be authentic and charismatic and also your best self. It's sort of
1: hard to believe that you were awkward because you're really down to earth.
0: Oh, thank you. That's so kind. No, I really mean it. I I appreciate it. It's such a kind thing to say because it's so opposite of what people used to say. And so I share if I can do it, Anyone can do it. And it's not me pretending to be something that I'm not. It's me saying I'm vulnerable and I'm awkward and I mess up and I'm in my slippers right now. Like it's all those things. And that's actually better. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to impress people. You don't have to be extroverted. That's not actually what I think true success is about. What do you think success is? I think success is knowing your unique flavor whatever that is, by the way, it doesn't have to be just charisma. So I think very successful people, the definition of success is knowing exactly what kind of lifestyle you want that could be expensive or not knowing exactly what your brand of charisma is, whether that's extroverted or not knowing exactly what kind of family you want to have and your values are and owning that unique flavor. So I think success is figuring out who am I, what do I value? And then owning it, like living it. I love that. Yeah, we've
1: done 200 plus episodes. And I used to ask that question all the time, kind of straight away from it. But that was a perfect time to ask because you're it up. So I appreciate that. In the moment, though, like, I'm just really curious how someone today can walk away and start to be more conscious of their cues in moment. And the reason I say that is because there's been numerous times like if I'm out and I'm starting to feel a little anxious or, you know, I just feel like people are looking at me. I feel like that alone can start to change my cues. And oh. I'm just curious, like how, how can someone walk away from this and start to realize, all right, all right, cool, I'm out to dinner. This is the cue that I'm giving off.
0: I think open, if I'm going to pick one that's like like immediately applicable and no matter what situation, it would be openness. And that's openness in a lot of different ways. So open palm. So like yeah. the moment you walk into dinner, if you're feeling uncomfortable, the actual, the best thing you can do is greet, right? So like, hey, everyone, good to see you. The moment you hop on video, instead of, hi, nice to see you, no hands. Hey, good morning, nice to see you. So, that triggers openness. It also shows openness. Same thing, open body. So, if you're closed, you have your arms crossed, or you have your purse in front of you, or a book, or a laptop in front of you, opening up also signals to your own mind that you're open and also signals to others that you're open. So, every time that you begin to feel uncomfortable, your instinct is going to be to close. Your instinct is going to be to make a fist, to tightly cross your arms or put them over your body, to close in, to roll in. I'm saying fight that instinct. I actually want you to go the other way. The more open you are, the better you look to others and the more open you feel yourself. So it's the only time I'm going to say like fight your instincts on it because that's how you get in those, like those bad loops, those traps.
1: Yeah. What are some cues to be aware of on a date to know if it's going good or bad?
0: Oh my goodness. I love, by the way, a game I love to play. My, my, I highly recommend if you're going to learn the cues, it's, it's like a language. You want to speak with other people. So, I highly recommend read the book with someone else, read the book with a partner, because then you can talk about the cues. Like, one of the best ways that I got faster at reading cues was I was sharing everything with my husband, and our favorite game would be to go to a restaurant and to look at other people in the restaurant and decide good date, bad date, dessert, no dessert. <laughs> and we were trying to guess who was going to order a dessert and who wouldn't. And you really can tell a lot from the nonverbal. Now, verbal. So, when we talk about cues, by the way, there are four different kinds of cues nonverbal, body language, gestures, facial expression. Vocal, your voice, tone, pace, cadence, volume. Your verbal, the words you use in your syntax. And then ornaments, colors you wear, props you hold, Mm -hmm. your background. Okay, so there's four different channels. When you're speed reading, you're usually just doing nonverbal and ornaments. And that's enough, actually, to decide a lot. So good date, usually they're trying to close the distance between themselves. So like they're leaning over the table. Like we've seen dates that are doing so well that they, both people are almost out of their chair, leaning in towards the other, because they're so trying to close the space gaps. Of course, frequent touches or reaching out into someone's space. So even if you're not touching, reaching out, lingering where your wine glasses to have your arm even close to the other person. We really like someone. We want every part of our body to be close to them. So we'll even linger with our hands or our feet, like our feet will go all the way across the table. Typically we're fully fronting. So like we're angling our toes and our torso towards the other person. I call that fronting in the book. And it's actually for basketball fans, they might notice fronting is a, a tool used in the court that when we are really into someone, we will angle our feet towards that person. And so in, on a really good date, someone will get up to go to the bathroom and their toes will literally follow them like a radar. Like, like when wow. like they walk across the room, it's like, You're so tuned into them, but that your toes are literally like, you know, like we find that (laughs) thing that we like. And so I even, we did some casual research where we had, we observed Christmas parties and we noticed that we could usually tell who the boss was in a room and also office crushes based on where people's toes were pointing. This
1: is so interesting. (laughs) Wait. So if someone's toes are pointing in the opposite direction of you, does that mean that they're not interested? Or maybe it's they're not, not listening. Yeah. It's
0: not great, right? Like, tr- try this yourself. Next time you're with someone, try angling your toes in the other direction. You will actually begin to feel disengaged. You'll wanna check your phone. Mm-hmm. You'll wanna look where your toes are pointing. It is incredibly hard to stay engaged. Like, my toes are pointed away and I- I'm having a difficulty speaking. The moment I point my towards back, toes back towards you, it actually helps me feel engaged. So it's a, a loop. And so you'll notice that it's really hard for someone to be fully present and engaged with you when their toes are pointed out. The only exception that I'll give is cross legs. So cross legs, you know, if you cross your legs and your toe is pointed up, that's fine. Right. Right. It's If your feet are planted and they're kind of aware, that's when you can see, or like sometimes women will tuck their feet. That's actually a sign of comfort, right? Like that isn't like a, a following gesture, but if someone's standing or seated with their feet planted, that's when it's kind of fun to, you know, anecdotally to pay attention to where their toes are pointing.
1: So when you say tucking your feet, that means like under the
0: chair. You know how yeah. women will sit like with our feet up under yes. us. Yes, 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 yes. But yes. That, that's not a bad sign. Like just because her toes are tucked under her doesn't mean that's a bad sign. That just means she's trying to get comfortable. Yeah. And by now the way, how'd... I have a context section in the book. You know, context is important. We talked about clusters,
1: of yeah. course, context.
0: Like if someone's freezing cold, they're probably going to cross their arms. It doesn't mean they're closed off to you. It means they're cold. So yeah. context is always something that we have to keep in our head too.
1: I love this. Now we talked about how cues can play into the digital perspective in a little, uh, you know, just a little bit on zoom and stuff, but I'm curious, like on social media, how do cues come into play?
0: So I, when I look at my social media, I think very carefully about the cues I'm using. Like that's something that I'm thinking about all the time because our social media is often our digital first impression, Right. right? Like most of the time people are Google searching us. They're looking at our LinkedIn profile picture. They find us on a dating app, but still look at our, our profiles so ornaments are really important here. Like what you're holding in your pictures, what's behind you in your pictures. We often like, I, I see so many pictures where someone might look great in the actual picture, but what they're holding or what they're wearing or what's behind them is off or mm. odd or signals the wrong things. Like for example, I was just, I'm um, talking to a student and he, I, I was, I like to do um, LinkedIn makeovers when I hear things to do with students is I have them submit their LinkedIn profile or their dating profile, but LinkedIn is actually, there's a little bit more juice there. We do a makeover and he submitted a picture at his profile and his picture was very flattering. It was a a great photo of him. He had a nice big smile. He was looking right at the camera, but it was very clear that he was in a wedding. Like it was very clear. He had a, a little, the top of a little boutonniere, he was in a pink tie and a vest. And I said, listen, this is a very flattering picture. And it's great for like, you know, casual pictures, but on LinkedIn, people are going to immediately trigger, associate this with like warmth with a wedding, it's either your wedding or you were in a wedding that you don't wear this to work, right? you're not going to wear a pink tie to work. You don't have a boot and a on for work. And so it will be harder for someone to picture you at work negotiating for them in this photo. So it's also, it's all the ornaments of what we carry. There was one study. I, it's so funny. I, this is one tiny cue in the book. Like this, it's like this big, it's like a little tiny square. I get asked about it in more interviews because it's so shocking, which I'll share here, which is Researchers found that heterosexual males, there is one thing they should never do in a dating picture. Ever, ever, never, never, ever. It's a deal breaker for writing a partner. You want to know what it is? Please. Yes, absolutely. Never hold a cat. cat. They found a cat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they found, I cannot believe that researchers actually looked at looked, like studied this. It's like real academic researchers. They found the one thing that for heterosexual males, even women who like cats do not like a man holding a cat. So that's one example of a very weird prop that you should be aware of so if you're holding a cat in your dating profile, go change it. I am so scared that like PETA is going to reach out and be like, "How dare you on behalf of <laughs> cat lovers everywhere <laughs> like, I love that is cats
1: so funny't
0: hold one on your dating
1: picture I mean I would have never even thought of that that, would, that was not the first thing I was thinking of.
0: What were you thinking
1: of? I don't know. I I mean, I I would have never even thought to hold a cat. I don't like cats. (laughs) Truthfully, I don't. And I'm going to be honest. I have a puppy, but like, does that mean I should hold a puppy? Okay.
0: Okay. Dogs are great. Dogs are great. But for some reason, and I feel so bad for cat lovers. And what was crazy about this is even women who like cats didn't like it. Yeah. So there's all these, again, this is a hidden language and they're doing more and more research on all these cues. So hopefully we'll have more to come, but dogs are okay.
1: I love that. I love that. I'm curious. What's a question you wish more people would ask you?
0: Um...
1: In general, it doesn't have to be about the book, but I know you have students. I saw you on Lewis's show, Tom's show. I've seen you everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. What's a question you wish more people would ask?
0: a topic I never get asked about, which is so funny is I'm a mom. And I do think there's a lot of cues around parenting and being a mom and being like a partner. And so I always like, I'm like, wow, no one ever asks me about that. I don't know if it's because they think people won't like it, but like, there's so many parenting cues and tips. And so um, I have a daughter, her name is Sienna. She's three and a half. And that's a one really great way to practice cues. Boy, oh, boy, do toddlers show you cues. So I'm always sure. funny. I have so many funny stories about my daughter and no one ever asks me about
1: them. I'm curious to learn. I mean, you said there's 96 cues now based off of the age difference. Does that make any impact?
0: So babies and toddlers show slightly different cues. One uh, I talk about in the book is that babies prefer high pitched voices. That is why our instinct when we talk to a baby is to go, hello, little one. Hello, it's so good to see you because they like that better. Adults prefer lower pitch voices. Adults prefer, hey, everyone, how's it going? That's a weird, there are some preference differences between babies and toddlers and uh, adults. Not as many as you'd think though.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. I I saw you do something that I typically do, and I want to ask you about it. I find myself looking to the left and looking to the right. Now I heard something along the lines of when you, and I forget which direction it is, but like when you look to the left, you're in your imagination. When you look to the right, you're, and I could be totally wrong about that, but I'm curious,
0: what does that mean
1: from a cute perspective?
0: Yes. So I don't know how, but that study that was like, when you look up to the left, you're lying. When you look up to the right, you're remembering something. It like got picked up everywhere. Like whoever the press person was on that study needs a huge bonus and raise because somehow that study was read by every person on the planet. <laughs> and i have asked about that question a lot because it somehow got publicized. That is actually a not, has not been replicated. So research has tried to replicate that. They have not been able to replicate it. It's more of an anecdotal piece of advice, but I would actually say it's borderline incorrect. I'm not saying 100% correct because it is true that some people look up to the left when they're lying or I I forget what the study says. It wasn't the study, what that article said. Some people do do that. However, it's often switched for left-handed people. Mm -hmm. So- It can depend on the person you're talking to. There are also people who habitually, like that's just where they access all information. They're always like, when I'm asked math questions, I typically look up to the left. Like if you were to say, what's 10 times 10 plus two minus three, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, 10 plus 10 plus two. Like I, I access over there. And so for me, that's where I access everything. So I would say, actually, you're better off if you really want to use that tip at all. It's with the important people in your life, partner, your kids, boss figure out where they access information and pay attention to their patterns. Mm. So if your boss, when you ask them, you know, what did you have for breakfast yesterday? And they're like, oh, breakfast yesterday uh, oatmeal. And they look up to the right. That's where they access truthful information. But if you ask them, you know, tell me a a lie or like, you know, you ask a question that you know is not going to be truthful and they all of a sudden look somewhere else, that's where they access lies. Typically that's a guideline, not a rule, but that there's some interesting stuff in there. If you're curious about lie detection,
1: I feel like I'm going to be a detective after this.
0: I hope so. I mean, you'll definitely be a decoder, (laughs) which maybe you already are a decoder. Absolutely. I was like decoding. Yes. I mean, listen. (laughs) Cues are a little bit of a blessing and a curse. So like there is a little bit of a warning I have to give folks which is why I'm like, read it with your partner, read it with a friend. Once you start seeing these cues, you literally see them everywhere. Again, it's like learning a language. Once you learn a language, if someone's next to you is speaking in that language, you can't really unhear it, right? Like you're going to hear if they're going to say a word. So cues are kind of like that. Once you see them, you see them. And once you know them, you see them everywhere. That's going to be good and bad.
1: I love this. I absolutely love it. I only have you for a few more minutes. I'm going to ask you two more questions. This one I have to ask. What cues have I given you throughout this interview?
0: Oh, actually wonderful cues, except for one, which you told me about. So you said to me, no, no. At the very start of the interview, you said, if I look down here towards my notebook, I'm not texting. I'm just taking notes. That was great because typically looking down, like frequent looking down is a sign of shame or hiding or being closed off. And so you actually told every other cue has been great. You told me I'm looking down. So that was perfect because I was like, oh, that's where that cue is. That was a context Mm. cue.
1: I love this. Last question here, though, Vanessa, if you live to whatever year you want to live to, you hop on as many podcasts, put out as many books, (laughs) do whatever you want to do in life, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. What is that?
0: Mm. Find your unique flavor of charisma. How do you do that? Find your warmth and competence cues. That's your perfect recipe. Hmm. Like don't settle for someone else's. You know, don't copy Steve Jobs because he looked, you know, really impressive. Don't copy Oprah because she's been super successful. Find the cues that you like and make that make that mix.
1: I love that. I'm going to make sure link to the book, socials, websites, all of that is in the show notes. But do you have anything else going on that we should make people aware of?
0: So I talked a little bit about charisma, warmth, and competence. If you're curious about your warmth and competence, you want to know where you fall. We have a little free quiz. You're welcome to take it as many times as you want. It's called, it's at sciencepeople.com charisma. What's great about that is you can take it for you. So you can see where you fall in warmth and competence, but then like have a friend take it as you have a partner take it as you. It's the only way that I know of to get a full 360 on what impression you're making on others. And so it's open. It's free take it as many times as you want. I have that because I think it's critical to know how do you think you're coming across to others and are you actually coming across that way
1: to others? I love that. I'm going to make sure that link is in the show notes as well. But Vanessa, thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Oh my goodness. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening and giving me a little bit of your day. You
1: have just tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast featuring Vanessa Van Edwards with your host, Matt Labrie. I'm going to urge you, if you have yet to do so yet, make sure you are sharing this very powerful episode, this very powerful content the questions, the responses from Vanessa. Such a great conversation. I'm not saying that because I'm the host, but truly and genuinely, I learned so much from this episode and I know that there are other people in your life, since you just exposed yourself to all of this greatness, there are people in your life that could be exposed to it as well. So I'm urging you to share it on your Instagram stories, Twitter feed, Facebook, LinkedIn, text messages, group chats, emails, word of mouth, all of that good stuff. And if you choose to do it on social, make sure you are tagging Vanessa and I, let her know that you heard her here on Decoding Success. And with that being said, you can also check all of her good stuff out. Websites, socials, free stuff, giveaways, books, all of that fun stuff is in the show notes of this episode. I'm also going to let you know that each and every Wednesday, we are putting out new content. If you have yet to hit that subscribe button, if you're on Spotify, if you are on CastBox, if you are on Apple, wherever you are and there is a subscribe button, make sure you smash that so that you are notified when we are putting out conversations just like this one. We're going to have a lot of laughs. We're going to have a lot of entertainment. We're also going to have a lot of insights, knowledge, experience, wisdom, all of that good stuff. So make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're rocking with us each and every week, dropping new episodes every single Wednesday. For the past three years, we are not stopping. So much more to come. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.